Many thanks for joining us on this episode of the Heart Podcast. My name is Dr. James Rudd, and I'm the Digital Media Editor at Heart, and I'm delighted to be joined today on the podcast by Dr. Giovanni Bilio from the Bristol Heart Institute, Bristol University in the UK. Giovanni, many thanks for joining us on this episode of the podcast. Thank you, and thank you for inviting me. Uh, Giovanni, you've recently published a review article in Heart, which is called Computational Modeling for Congenital Heart Disease, How Far Are We from Clinical Translation? Um, I wonder if you could tell me a little bit about your um, motivation uh, for this work and exactly what kind of modeling you've been doing for uh, congenital heart disease. Yes, sure. So the review focuses on computational modeling and we thought together with the other authors of the paper, uh, mainly the clinical engineering group at Great Ormond Street Hospital and University College London, with whom I've been working for nearly seven years, that modeling techniques are now ripe and are being used more and more uh, for congenital heart disease cases. And so we thought it would be helpful to see as the title says, how far are we from clinical translation? What is needed? How have the methods evolved over the past 20, 25 years? Um, and what should be, in a sense, our priorities as biomedical engineers to develop the models in a way that they might be useful clinically? So. Um, Essentially, in the review, we, as I said, focus on the computational models. Let's not forget that we and many other groups have also worked on experimental models of congenital heart disease, and they also are very helpful for other research questions. But in the review, we focus on the computational side and specifically on five areas. So on patient-specific modeling, which I believe we title personalized medicine, the use of models for new devices and device development. We discuss a relatively new technique, um, which is called statistical shape modeling. And then we comment on multi-scale models. And finally, some considerations on new um, imaging modalities and how these can be merged for modeling purposes on the level of the input data for making the models and how to handle the uncertainty in the results and the uncertainty that results from running the simulations at the level of, let's say, presenting the results, particularly presenting the results to a clinician. Um, so that's kind of the approach that we took in try and give a complete overview of where we're now. Okay, that's a great overview of the, of the paper. And what do you actually mean by computational modeling for somebody who is not experienced in this area? This is data derived from uh, cardiac MRI studies, right? Yes. So the idea is to use numerical techniques developed by engineers and mathematicians and alongside with image processing techniques to develop models. Um, and by models, we mean essentially tools that can simulate uh, a condition or an anatomy. And to give a little bit more detail, models can include the hemodynamics, so what we would call, for instance, computational fluid dynamics, simulations that focus on how the blood flows and what affects 
the way in which blood flows, they could be structural stimulations. And by that we mean um, mechanical models that take into account the mechanics of, for example, devices. So how does a device deploy? What is the mechanical interaction between a device, let's say a stent, and the wall of a blood vessel? And models can also be, as in the case of the statistical shape modeling, mathematical techniques that allow us to look at um, morphological differences, which we think it's particularly relevant in congenital heart disease. So it really can um, include quite different techniques, as well as the combination of some of these. So I mentioned earlier the fluid component and the solid mechanics component, and it may be even intuitive. There are simulations where it's actually more relevant to include both. So for example, we call fluid structure interactions, SSI simulations, where you take into account both the way in which the blood flows, but also, for example, in the presence of a device or even, uh, let's say, valve leaflets, other components of the system that you're simulating, how do these interact and how one responds to the other. Okay, and you give a very nice example in figure one of your paper where you uh, you are able to deploy, as it were, virtual stents um, in a patient uh, who needs a stent for congenital heart disease. And you can also see um, by, by modeling the effect of uh, wall stress of the different sizes of stents and I guess allow the operator to, to really plan ahead of the procedure, uh, yes. the optimal stent to use. Which, um, which congenital heart disease lesions um, are you working on most of all? almost commonly? Um, I would say that complex cases, in a sense, lend themselves more to modeling where you would have more uncertainty on selecting a device or where the hemodynamics might be particularly complicated. So for instance, ourselves as a group and other groups have focused a lot on single ventricle patients as well as the tracheophalot, aortic coarctation, transposition of the great arteries. These have all been modeled um, mm -hmm. quite extensively. Having said that, um, <laughs> even though I should be advocating for the models, um, models don't replace the experience, the expertise of a surgeon or, or of a cardiologist. So there may be, it may be a bit too broad a generalization to say models are useful for single ventricles because single ventricles are so much more complex than, for instance, a VSD. I think the idea, thinking as the title says about the clinical translation, is that models, like as any technology, are a tool and an aid in a sense. So there may be um, a complex case of a VSD uh, where the operator may benefit or would desire, for instance, simulation results because there are doubts, there may be doubts on the optimal size of a device, for example. And so there may be instead a single ventricle case where to an extent is more straightforward in terms of the choices that you have for treatment. So the idea would be ideally my personal view that models are flexible and then that can be used for the cases where they're needed 
and when they can aid personalized treatment. So as we were saying, optimal device choice or optimal, let's say, strategy for inserting the device, testing different routes, and also evaluating all the consequences, for instance, of a surgery. So in the single ventricle case, just to give an example, simulations have been done by different groups to say, what if we compare the different surgical options at a specific stage of palliation? Do, does that result in significant hemodynamic changes and changes in, for instance, the stresses that are experienced by the ventricles or the vessel walls. And so all this can be taken into account to make a decision, which is very complex. That's really fascinating. And I've also seen another publication, uh, publication that you have in, in BMJ Open where you, I'm assuming you use some of this data uh, to come up with uh, 3D models, actually handheld models using 3D printing to, yes. edu to educate patients and, uh, and their parents as well in, in, in the case of congenital heart disease about the various abnormalities within the heart and how you might go about fixing it. And I'm assuming that that data was derived from, from CFD uh, simulations? So the source data is always imaging. It's always MRI or CT images. And uh, more recently, uh, options are being explored to incorporate the data that we can get from 3D Echo as well. Okay. And the 3D printing, it's sort of complementary, exactly. And what I said in the beginning about the experimental side, that's sort of what I was alluding to. And it links nicely with the computational models because in both cases, the idea is to explore where can these models aid where can they be useful and 3d printing is becoming extremely popular it's an amazing technology and i think it has a lot of potential for um aiding in the communication processes as well as other aspects like training and practicing interventions having said that all of this should be quantified so we are doing a lot of research to really test do these models help and how and what are all the subtleties, for instance, in something that is so complex like communication. And in fact, I think it links with 3D printing also the computational models, even though we have not set in the review, might even have a place for a more translational application in the communication realm with young people and with families. Because for example, you might show virtually what would happen when a stent is deployed or it might give a nice insight into what will happen and what, for example, the anatomy will look. And these young people also are very technology driven. So we have just started touching on this, but as per the 3D printing side, I think it needs systematic evaluation and surveys and also from a patient's and public involvement perspective to in, in run focus groups and really involve all the users, so the professionals as well as the patients in evaluating the translation of the technology. Okay, well, it's, it's certainly a, it's a booming area, I would say, not only in, in pediatric practice, but also I see this entering into grown-up uh, adult cardiological practice with mm -hmm. things things like new devices for mitral valves and of course mm -hmm. vascular surgery as well with uh, with endovascular uh, aneurysm uh, repairs a lot of these also have this kind of approach i'm guessing uh, prior to implantation of the stents 
Um, Giovanni, I wanted to thank you very much for joining us on this episode of the Heart Podcast. The paper is now live on the Heart website, and I'll put a link in the show notes as well. And I encourage all of our listeners to uh, to go and download it. Many thanks. You're welcome, and thank you for inviting me. Thank you.